0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Tribe Podcast. Hey, for today I've got uh, Rene, which is a very good friend of mine, and uh, we're going to be talking about empirical data. Rene is a teacher at a Melbourne University, and he has a lot of knowledge when it comes to researching the musculature in the body and all the intricate intricate processes in the body. We'll be talking about how he started out, how. How his passion uh, came to be, and some general wisdom and knowledge that he that he has. Renee, welcome. Thank and you. Man. Uh,
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you know, listeners might not might not know this, but we uh, have been doing a lot of walking and a lot of uh, carrying, carrying of uh, sandbags, which you and I both will probably agree is a really bad idea. Yeah. And you know, I was actually really excited to talk to you because the one thing I always found is you and I have a very uh, similar way of thinking. Sure. So, to start off, can you talk to me about uh, your work? Where do you work? What kind of subjects do you give? Maybe some truths?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, just to start maybe even a bit earlier. Um, born in the Netherlands, just like Willem, not too far away from where uh, he was, uh, he was raised and um, studied in the south of the Netherlands, studied, um, health sciences there. Um, uh, with specialization of movement sciences, uh, I did my PhD there in, um, nutritional interventions to modulate muscle mass and function. Um, then did a postdoc in France, then moved to Australia in 2007. So we've been here now for about 13 years. Um, Yes, I'm working now as an associate professor at the uh, University of Melbourne in the Department of Physiology. Um, Mainly focused on uh, research, how the muscle works, how the muscle reacts to different stimuli and, and then stimuli can be positive and they can be negative so they can be positive in the sense of we're trying to make a muscle grow we might try to make it stronger we're trying to make it faster or slower um, and negative in the sense of what happens during bed rest what happens if you end up in an ICU and, and are there any any ways? that we can modulate um, what happens to a muscle when you are in those um, those positions where you are inactive, you're exposed to a whole bunch of inflammation um, and you're losing muscle mass and function. And can we think of um, treatments um, that can prevent that, uh, that wasting? So that's in a nutshell the, the type of research um, that we're working on. Um, and yeah, as, a, as an academic, you of course I'm involved in both research and teaching, on I'm teaching a third year, um, a third year subject for um, science and biomedical science students um, at, at Melbourne University, um, looking at muscle and the effects of exercise. And then also teaching uh, honor students introduction to biomedical research, um, teaching first year physiotherapy, and what happens to muscle. And when you're them to different, different stresses, um, and what happens during exercise. Um, yeah, and of course I then supervising research students, honor students, master students, PhD students in the, in the center for muscle research where I work. So yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of different things, which, uh, which keeps the job interesting.
0: Wow. That's, uh, that's quite a summary. Jesus. You put it into words. Well, hey, and I, if I recall correctly you're also an editor for uh a certain journal.
1: Yeah, so as, I mean as an academic you need to um, sort of give back to the um give back to the community so um yeah as an academic a lot of people are um, have editing roles uh, editorial roles uh, for different uh, different journals um So yeah, I'm I'm editor, associate editor for uh, Clinical Nutrition Experimental, and we're currently involved in editing a a new update on um, protein and amino acid metabolism in health and disease for another journal. Um, So yeah, that's just um, one of those roles. So as an academic, you're involved in peer review, uh, just to make sure that... um, reviews and and, and articles are of the required standard and to allow publication Um, so yeah that's similar in an editorial role so um yeah just keeping up to date as well as what your your peers are doing this is important
0: you know that's interesting that you you, uh, talk about that because i remember during one of our talks we're talking about how do you read a study Mm -hmm. and you came up with a couple of very interesting pointers because of course you're an editor, so you have to make sure that a study is valid, that it actually adds anything at all or, or that it might be invalidated because some parameters haven't been taken care of as well. Can you dive in on that a little? So let's say you have some random study that came out about a muscle biopsy that had a certain effect you're interested. How do you, how do you read that study?
1: Well, I think it's interesting. Um, the difference between reading a scientific paper versus uh, reading a scientific paper and reading a novel, it is something completely different, right? When you're reading a book um, about um, somebody's experience, for example, in, in, if you're interested in reading books about what were two or, or whatever, I mean, you start at the beginning and you read the entire story that he also wants to tell you, right? Because you're you're interested in, what the author wants to tell you. I think when you look at scientific literature, I'm not necessarily interested in what the, what the author's trying to tell me. I'm interested in what their data shows me. So what I do is I start, I really look at the title, I um, skim through the abstract, and then I just go to figure one. And looking just at figure one, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what does this particular figure tell me? tell me about um, what does it show? So, if there is, if, for example, um, treatment, does this make the muscle bigger or smaller? Right. So when you're trying to figure out, you're trying to interpret yourself what the data tells you, and you work your way through um, uh, the paper like that. You go through the figures, and you look then at the concluding statement of the discussion, and you see whether your conclusion based on the data that you've seen is the same as, the, as what the authors come up with. Um, for the majority of papers and you'll see that at least in, in my experience with that is that uh, generally my interpretation is in line with what um, what the authors conclude. Um, but yeah sometimes um, that's not the case and <laughs> and when that's not the case you have an interesting um, couple of hours ahead of you where you have to write a review about why your interpretation of the results is different um, from the authors and that either then results in uh, rejection um, from that particular journal or you give the authors an opportunity, I mean you will give the opportunity to the authors to come back um, with uh, reasoning why their interpretation is uh, in such a way Um, or yeah your paper gets rejected
0: but that's a completely different approach than most people do when they read a study. So what do you say? You skim over the abstract, the introduction, you go over the data, make your own conclusion and you compare. And well, mm-hmm. me too. Like I, 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 I tend to do this myself is you have a very large study. You go for the introduction, the abstract, you go to conclusion and you might skim over some data to, to just check up on it to see what the, the validity is like. But you go at it the other way around. And what I like of your, about your approach is the conclusion doesn't really say anything unless you truly understand what you're talking about. The conclusion is only as um, valuable hmm. as the person coming up with conclusion.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's one of those things as well. Um, and I have to say that there's. There, currently, there are studies. Well, I have a. I mean, I'll, I'll show you, which is not very useful for people that are just listening, but I'll, I'll show you a figure. Yeah. This is figure one of a recent paper
0: yeah. published
1: in Cell. Well, it, it will take you a good two hours to go through figure one, to just try and interpret what's in there, right? So there, 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 there are papers and there's papers. So there's papers where this approach is very easy, where it's just, I mean, if your figure one is just a simple bar graph, it's very simple to interpret, right? If it's a bit like this cell um, paper, it's a bit of a disaster because it will take you a long time. Yeah. Um, but if a paper is very, very straightforward, then I think it's just important to, to really just look at the figures, look at the data, and then come you come up with the idea, um, does it mean anything? I mean, there's, especially in some of the older literature, there's a lot of papers out there, especially when you think about um, different interventions on muscle performance, um, study, um, conclusion might be creatine increases muscle mass with 30% and power with whatever percent, right? And if that's the conclusion, that's gonna be picked up by the media, that's gonna be out there. And and at some point, this particular compound becomes a wonder drug, right? However, if you then go back and you have a look at the study and you look at, okay, this is a study, this is for example, a, resistance exercise training in six individuals um, had never trained before and all these individuals gained muscle mass over time. I mean, all these little nuances are not in the conclusion.
0: No, exactly, because if you're resistance trained or not resistance trained, that's gonna make a big difference on the outcome and might not be relevant for the majority of the people actually reading it, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, well, and especially, and I think on on one of our walks, we talked about this in detail, that a lot of those um, supplementation studies are mostly done in um, individuals that have not been previously exposed to training, right? So um, in most of those uh, studies, you'll see a a fairly big increase in uh, muscle strength. you see a fairly big increase in muscle mass, which is not really representative of what would happen if you start the supplementation study in a a, a trained individual. Um, And again, that's most of the time, not the stuff that you see, when you just, uh, when you look at the conclusion and you look at the narrative really uh, of a paper. So it's really important to just delve a little bit deeper and look at the original data. And I guess that brings you then to, should you read uh, review articles? Um because of course, a review article is most of the time not an in depth discussion about data that's published in other papers, but it's just some researcher with more the narrative of, yeah it's most of the time uh stringing conclusions together from previous papers um which sometimes just um it gets narrative where you just have to be careful about um Um, with the interpretation.
0: Yeah, I I remember this distinct detail when we were talking, whilst we were talking about how, if you are researching, you have a study you're uh, conveying. Well, as you said, a study takes a very long time. I remember you saying up to three years. And Mm -hmm. if you wanna get uh, get subsidized and continue to research, you're gonna have to come up with an answer. You're gonna gonna have to come up with something that a company or a business can use which is why you have to put it you you have to uh constrain and you have to uh, reduce it down down to a certain size which to me sounded very troubling because (coughs) the gullible person uh reading the study will probably go over conclusion the abstract and that's it and as you said, if you are researching whether a supplement works for protein synthesis or not, and you're not concerned with whether the people involved were resistance trained or not, then you forget about that. Maybe you have trained for 10 years, so maybe not may not be applicable to you.
1: Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is um, just thinking about what is the question that's been asked. And what's the answer that you need, right? So, if you, for example, want to know um, the effect of uh, a type of protein that you take in on muscle protein synthesis, um, that is a study that will take you, I mean, maybe three, four months to actually complete and then three months for analysis. So, within a one year cycle, you should be, easy. You should be able to do that study from beginning to end and publish. Um, however, if the overall question is, does a, um, this particular protein uh, powder, does it increase protein synthesis and long-term supplementation, will it increase muscle mass or will it protect from wasting during certain conditions, right? You're not talking about one study anymore. You're talking about an acute protein synthesis study coupled with a chronic supplementation study, um, which all of a sudden drags it out, not to just one year, probably a two-year cycle, right? And um, it's now because of the, the there's, there's a lot of people doing research, there's a lot of good research going out there. And so the requirements to get a certain, publishing your paper in certain journals um, have also changed. So whereas like 10, 15, 20 years ago was you have a simple question, you have a, a specific question, you have a, uh, you do an experiment that specifically addresses that particular question and you publish that data. Currently, it's more um, more broader like you have you test a concept um, that um, has a set of hypotheses and you put that all together in a bigger paper to put it at a higher impact journal. So uh, the, the time that you can just do a, a very simple study and get it published in a high impact paper, a high impact journal, that will be read a lot and cited a lot, which is important for scientists to show that their work is important and um, being tracked by people and um, to then be able to apply for your next set of funding. Um, yeah, those are all, That, that those I find students. a very
0: scary uh, concept because there are so many se- uh, secondary concerns. I mean, you want to have your study published in a big journal. You want to get subsidized. So your primary concern should, of course, be because uh, you're an academic, what does this mean? How can I use this? How can I further technology how can i further human health but in order to be able to do that you have to be published you have to use as you i remember you you, you said that you have to use these um, methods of researching you have to use certain uh, jargon you have to there's so many concerns aside from how can i benefit uh, society well i mean
1: I think the, the, the thing what is happening now is that it's, it's very important when we do a study that we are tr- trying to provide an as definitive as possible statement about the actual outcome of a study, yeah. which means that not just measuring, um, for example, coming back to the protein synthesis stuff, you're not just measuring um, protein synthesis but by the incorporation, for example, of, a, of an amino acid. Um, you're also looking at signaling you're also um, looking at, uh, at how the uh, how the metabolic pathways are changing so instead of just measuring one thing you're trying to provide an, an answer that is just as complete as possible yeah. to, uh, to, to provide as much evidence that you can and um, to highlight that your observation is correct which which is good however because that's that is what uh, is what in general um, takes longer it's more highly spe- uh, highly specialized puts, puts our scientists a bit under a bit more um pressure of course because it, as in every um, every industry um we need to keep people <laughs> Keep funding coming in to to actually um, do the research and, and study what we find interesting and what we think uh, are interesting and, and important problems uh, to tackle to develop. It's it is a continuous cycle and it's a continuous um, struggle and it's a continuous um, searching for uh, for for opportunities and a searching for. Um, yeah, smart ways um, to work around problems, which is actually the exciting bit of doing research.
0: Because I can imagine there's a very fine line between hey, why did I get into researching in the first place? Well, I want to get information that's actionable, that's usable. However, I need to be able to get my studies subsidized. So I need to be able to come up with something that people can use. So I can imagine there's a very fine balance uh, in between, okay, I have a study and the data is clear, the conclusion might be a little bit vague, but at least I know I've stuck to my um, my own values. And then there's the, can I actually sell this? Can I sell this information so I get my studies subsidized?
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, our approach, at least uh, in in my group, it's always like, I mean, if a good study with a good design, a thorough investigation of the problem with the appropriate methods to analyze, should be enough um, sort of value to say, you know what, this is a study performed in the correct way by people with the correct expertise, this is a solid piece of evidence, Yeah. Right? So th- I think that's the um, that that's the go f- go to position, or also our, our default position uh, when we how we approach science is we, you ask the appropriate um, you, you ask the interesting question that's worth the investigation, and then you use the appropriate methods to investigate the topic, um, and then you report the finding. Because in the end, it's also another thing, right? If you if you haven't published a study that is basically for the world that means that that study has not been performed.
0: Yeah.
1: So that could very well mean that somebody else at the uh, at the other side of the world at the same time decides that that's a good idea um, but also then spends a whole lot of time on on doing a study for example that um, yeah where we already have the, the evidence for that it doesn't work so that's why it's very important that uh, that we also publish um, the papers um, where the outcome of the work is not necessarily um, positive.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, there's uh, also a thing called silent evidence, which is something I find incredibly interesting. I usually refer to history that when you read a history book, you only uh, read about the victors. You don't hear about anything else. So negative evidence or lack of evidence is always something I find to be very important and interesting as well because many people are of course very prone to the confirmation bias, to uh, people listening, not knowing what that means. It's, you believe something and you're trying to find evidence to support that statement. Yeah, I think
1: the the, the interesting thing, I guess, um, what does a negative study mean, right? If, um, that that negative study only means well i mean there, there's a couple of reasons why the outcome of a study can be negative right or and with negative i mean um unable to determine the positive effect that you
0: maybe started. even contradictory i mean i can imagine that's even worse
1: yeah well and i mean contradictory is uh I mean, I guess contradictory is is interesting. I think a negative study. Uh, when I talk about a negative study, is more like, for example, you're thinking about you're giving a uh, an amino acid supplement, and you think it's gonna uh, reduce muscle wasting. Um, however, you do the study and you show that this particular amino acid does not change wasting. And you, you've done all the, you've done everything in the correct way, right? You've um, measured the uh, amino acid intake, you see it, you've you checked in the blood that it actually appears in the circulation, uh, you give it to people or, or animals for a prolonged period of time, you measure muscle mass in different ways, uh, you measure protein synthesis, fine, and then you don't see a difference. Mm. And what does that mean? Does that mean that the, the, the compound uh, didn't work or that your mechanism of action doesn't work? Um, have you included enough individuals in your study? Um, and so it, it's not just one particular reason why a study uh, would be negative. And I guess there's a lot of, ever, a lot of um, papers out there that um, have just shown negative, or shown no effect of different treatments. And, and then you look at the data and you think, well, okay, you, you've used eight to 10 individuals in your treatment groups and I mean, very what would have happened if you, yeah so what happens if you do this in the, in the end of 20 or so 20 individuals per group or, or 30 individuals per group um, and then you have to think about okay is that that that's a sensible question to ask um but at the same time you have to then also also think okay how how expensive does that research then become if you have to add 30, uh, 30 or 40 individuals um, per group, per treatment, uh, um, which is sometimes not feasible.
0: Yeah, but um, let's draw a realistic but, um, here.
1: An interesting point.
0: So you, uh, um, let, let's well, say you are yeah. researching whether a supplement is gonna mm-hmm. stop muscle wasting from happening because you're bedridden oh. for whatever reason. And you have to get a straightforward answer out of the study in order to get, get the necessary funding for your next study. And as you said, well, uh, it's a negative outcome because you don't you, you don't measure anything. You don't me- measure any difference. What's What are the steps you undertake to check, okay, what are the parameters I can change? Maybe my sample size must be increased. Maybe the athleticity, maybe uh, how well-trained these people were, what are the parameters you, you check in such a case?
1: Well, I think yeah, one of the interesting things is already, um, if you're trying to prevent muscle wasting, for example, then you need to have a certain extent of muscle wasting that happens, right, during this particular period.
0: Yeah, and it will be so, order in order to measure.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the problems that um, you would see in, in some of the uh, supplementation studies in um, elderly individuals, where they're trying to prevent muscle wasting in elderly individuals. Um, and then for example, in in 70, 70 year old um, uh, individuals, they treat for six months and they measure and they're trying to measure differences in muscle mass after six months of supplementation. Uh, the, the problem in those studies most of the time is that in a in a healthy seventy year old over that six month period they won't lose ten percent muscle mass right they they won't lose that much muscle so even if you then like let's say they they lose five percent muscle mass over that period then i mean then changing that five percent to two percent muscle wasting. As you can see that margin is very small yeah and trying to get that that difference um actually significant with the with the study it it that sort of studies are sort of a waste of money because you'll never get a positive outcome there Yeah, see um, that,
0: that's that's interesting because that is expertise too you right before you can uh you conduct a study consider is it uh, worth getting into this in the first place? You can consider, okay, we're, we might get an answer out of this, but is this answer gonna be valuable to our cause?
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it's much more interesting in a population like that where you think, you know what, um, uh, when you get a little bit older, your, your normal response, your normal anabolic and growth response to a, a, an exercise uh, regime, is a little bit impaired compared to a young individual. So if you then look at, um, if you can increase fire supplementation, for example, the response to a training program, then all of a sudden you're in a better position to show a beneficial effect of your um, supplement, uh, supplement in this particular case. So a study set up like that is a lot better than um, having a six month supplementation approach without any other treatment in, in this we
0: talk about muscle growth, I said this to you last time, but I'll never forget this piece of information. It was about the over-responders and non-responders. So in this case, we talk about uh, you expose an individual to resistance training and over-responder would get a, a large increase in uh, muscle uh, hypertrophy and a non-responder would get zero to no response. And I don't remember the details, how long the study lasted, how long, how large the so sample size was. The one thing I remembered was there was a 13% difference between the over-respondent and the non-respondent. They were measuring the uh, diameter of the bicep. And it was mm-hmm. such a large deviation that made me realize, okay, so this data doesn't say anything at all because there's such a large difference between a non and over responder.
1: Yeah. And I guess that's, it's, it's a, just an interesting point, uh, highlighting then that that's the difference between, that could be a difference between individuals, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, so you'll, every, in every study that you'll do, you'll have variability like that to deal with. Yeah. Um. And at the same time it's it's a similar thing as if you're trying to translate study outcomes to yourself, not knowing whether you are going to be either that outlier or you're going to be that non-responder yeah um it's very difficult right to to make go from the from the population-wide observations or study-wide observations to then individual observations. there's no guarantee how um, that would uh, how that would translate. So, um, yeah, that's it's it's interesting.
0: And also, I remember you talking about this too previously, about the calibration of your uh, measurement measuring devices. How that can have such a large impact as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is, just comes back to. Um, if you want to know, if you have a certain effect size, right, that you you want to um, you need to have for for example, as I said, like you you do you look at muscle wasting and you're trying to prevent a 30% decrease in muscle mass. Well, that means that you need to be able to assess muscle mass pretty precisely to be able to determine those differences. So if you haven't If you don't have the equipment to accurately assess um, muscle mass, I mean, you're going to struggle because you're going to just have uh, observations that are a lot more variable and and therefore the the chances that you see the differences that you, 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 well, that you will be able to pick up the differences that you would like to pick up are are, yeah, that's going to be a bit problematic. So therefore you'll, you'll see already differences. Um, for example, we talk about body composition, right? If you gonna do this with the good old skin fold measurements, um, bioimpedance, um, underwater weighing, um, body pot sort of uh, approaches. So there's, there's a lot of different ways of doing this type of uh, analysis. And um, again, you have to just pick the one that's most appropriate and it will give you the best chance of, of showing you differences that you're after.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, I always like to take away things. I, whenever I, well, I talk with you or someone else about a subject, I always like to take away. So what does this mean? And every time I hear you talk about studies, it doesn't necessarily mean to me. So you have to disregard studies. No, to the contrary. I think, Empirical data is very important, but I will also f- uh, find it very important to realize their shortcomings. So, yeah. um, when we turn, turn it back to you, is there anything you, has your view changed over time with more expertise on, in the field, uh, the way you well read studies uh the way you exercise is there anything you've learned any kind of truths you you uh have held
1: well i i think it's uh, well it's it's interesting i think it's it's really it's, it's really interesting to see that if you've been in, in academia for, uh, God, I'm getting older, 20 years now, (laughs) and you just think about what, what, what the real facts, facts were like 20 years ago. And if you look at what the facts are right now, yeah, that just the, just the real facts, right? I mean, yeah, there's been a, a bit of a there's a technology boom. There, there's a whole bunch of things that are going on, um, but if you think about the, the the sort of dietary guidelines, fitness guidelines, all those sorts of things, they haven't really changed all that much over that over that time. Um, and it doesn't mean that we haven't made any progress whatsoever. I, I think we know more than ever about how muscle size and metabolism are regulated um but it doesn't necessarily it hasn't necessarily um changed the perception of the population about the importance of health and nutrition and i think i'm very happy with what uh, what i've achieved in 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 the in the research side of things what my very proud of my uh, my research team of what they've done and how how clever they are with coming up with different approaches to measure stuff and, and how they Young people are coming up with different hypotheses that are worthwhile testing, and and it's it's really really nice to see students um, problem solving and that sort of stuff. So that's something that I'm really happy with. Um, But then if you look at how science is picked up and what the actual output is um, with the current health status of the world. Um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously, as you know, in your line of work, there's, there's a really large discrepancy between what what is general knowledge about health and that sort of stuff. And then the actual behavior of people.
0: Yeah, the individual. And, yeah, yeah. context and I think it's incredibly it, important, your intent.
1: Yeah, and I think this is one of the interesting things that it, when I started, uh, science was all about just um protein 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 and lift heavy weight um or 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 cycling um and it is just yeah it has evolved to i'm trying to figure out more now in my in my free time of what what drives people what drives people why do you, do certain people show certain behavior and um as a population i'm trying to just figure out if the way we behave um as a as a a general population and and just trying to figure out we can make this world a bit better by small changes
0: a little bit more of a complex view at the state of things you know um sometimes you drop these little bombshells it's really funny And these little bombshells, they always stick by me because I find it very interesting. And one thing in particular you said some time ago was about a student coming to you and he wanted to have a very straightforward conclusion. He wanted to have an answer. And I remember you saying that depends. You couldn't give him a straight answer. You, You basically told him it's not that simple. Yeah, it's not
1: what people want to hear. Yeah. Um and I think this it comes back to a lot of conversations that we've had and it's it's um and it's it's interesting when you work in education um and, and especially in the, the current system that we work in right where students you cannot blame students because they go through an undergraduate course and they need to score very very well during this undergraduate course to get to the graduate medicine, dentistry, whatever. Those are the students that we see. So Really, yeah, they're interested in the topic that they're studying, but they're very interested in getting a very good mark. So there's, they're, they're, they're juggling with this idea of, okay, I want to know more about this stuff, but actually what I really want to know is what do I really need to know for the test and <laughs> how important is this assessment that you're giving me now? Okay, this is only worth 10%. So I really should study about on my exam, right? This which is worth 70%. So they're the, the really... Output driven. So from that perspective, I can understand the question like, okay, how does it work? And what will be the correct answer on the test?
0: Yeah.
1: Right? But I think one of the interesting things is um, really what, what people want to hear is just it is either black or it's white. And I think it's just it's it's never that easy. Everything is different shades of gray. Um and if you're talking about something that is probably built or based on something else and that initial thing that it's based on is not black and white it's also grey, mm-hmm. right so in the end in every discussion that we have it's it's trying to detach appreciate that everything is grey, and that it's never black and white and there's always always a middle middle way and i think um, yeah, we can become, become very philosophical because, of course, this doesn't apply just to science. It applies to uh, to life and, and, and attitude and that sort of stuff. But it's it's a it's a healthy way of looking at things where um, people people seek certainty, um, and it's it's just not there really because it's grey. It's not black and white
0: well i i always uh, find a lot of peace in probability well you of course know the term correlation and causation and what, what people are looking for is causation so when this happens this is the cause there's a direct bond and correlation is there might be a connection and basically the more information you have that points toward a certain direction the higher the probability that, it, that is the correct direction, but however, you are never certain because, as you said, it's never black and white. It's always grey. It just it depends. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, no, it's that's absolutely true. Um, I wanted to give another example, but I just the um, the <laughs> it just left left my brain, so I, I can't. Uh, can't come up with the example, but it, it, it's absolutely true. Different shades of grey, and um, that's what people need to. Uh, that's what we need to live with. Um, and of course, I think, it, and that's one of the reasons why I think in um, in, in science, what we're trying to do is, is go as um, as close to a black and white sort of scenario as possible. Yeah. By um, using so many different methods to basically show the same thing right so if you can show that um a causes b in in six different ways i mean you're getting a lot more confident that a causes b right i mean that is just you're getting a lot more confident than if you just show that that a causes b in using one particular method especially if you're not really confident about that method. So this is what we're trying to do um, in science that we're just trying to be very vigorous, very, very just um, precise and, and um, using as many different methods as we can to show yeah. that something leads to something.
0: Well, there, there's, this, you have an approach that I really appreciate that it's approach. I don't see very often. And I honestly think that's also why we click very well is what I tend to see is people zoom in. They know so much about a certain subject, they know so much about the human body, or about muscle, or about food, that they forget to see the forest. And every time I hear you talk, what I hear you say is you zoom in on a certain process in the body, like, okay, what well, does this mean? And you zoom back out again with the, okay, this data might mean that and that, But remember, it's not black and white. And one thing you said that that ties to this very well, it's um, uh, that someone posted something on Facebook and you had a certain notion that it made you feel a certain way. But you didn't say anything in return because you don't know what this person is going through. So what you do instead, you try to gather more information. And maybe at that point, you might come up with, oh, this might be the case, but I don't know. I am not that person. I'm not in that situation. So I, I might think I know what's going on, but I really don't.
1: Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think from, from a science perspective, right, I think for me it's, it's really easy to take a step back and not zoom in. Just because I mean, I'm surrounded by a lot of very smart people and a lot of very specialized people in specialized methodology that I'm, I have no problem admitting that they know a lot more about these particular things um, than me. And I just find it then interesting to just try and sit back, look at what they're doing, grab the information that they present, combine it with what you know yourself, and then grab another piece of information that another person from the center uh, for muscle research for example showed, and then try and um yeah, put these two, two things together um yeah and trying to integrate things and um it's 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 interesting but it's um it's yeah everybody has another another viewpoint and I used to be very strong in my viewpoint that um what I was doing, my research, my, my research was the most important thing in the world. Um until you realize, I guess, that you're not you're not necessarily curing cancer, you're not necessarily curing a whole bunch of other things. Um of course I think I think muscle is really important. Muscle health is really important if you don't have a healthy muscle, and I'm not saying you need to be big, you need to just metabolically adapt. And you need to be, I mean, a certain level of strength is needed. Um, so I think it's really important, but I mean, it, it has its place, right, in, um, in in all the other diseases that are out there. So it's, it's, you're taking the broader approach, taking the step back, and it's it's making it not all about you is also helpful.
0: <laughs> but I can also imagine that taking your ego out of it, because that, that's what it sounds like to me, is if utmost importance because if your ego is heavily involved with your study that's going to affect your data and if you're like well okay i'm doing this study because i'm passionate about it i'm doing this study because i like it because i like to learn things and if it if the answer doesn't suit me the way it it should i would like it to okay too bad
1: yeah it's um it's very good to be able to, to take a step back and, and, and be open for suggestions from others that just have a slightly different viewpoint. Yeah. Um, and I think I've, I've been lucky, lucky enough with my mentors who've been, um, very strong personalities, but also very open to suggestions. Um, so I've always been been uh, exposed to that. So it, it's it sort of comes natural after a while to just um, uh, yeah let let everybody talk and and come up hopefully at the end with the best possible mixture of the expertise which brings the best um, possible study design forward and then hopefully the best possible end results.
0: Yeah. Hey and. Um... Is there anything you would like to say to a new student or to people listening? Things you've picked up, things that you find valuable uh, valuable knowledge. Um,
1: about research or?
0: Um, just in general in your, in your field. Let's say no, I, I think... I'm, a, I'm a student. I walk in on the first day and... Uh, I have a chat with you and what kind of wisdom would you give me?
1: Uh, I think in in general, I'd like people in general, I'd like them to be open for things and also um, think about the cycle of news in general. And it comes back to, how I, I talk to you about how I read studies and, and how I interpret data, and um, discover truth, right? Or at least my truth or my interpretation of what's happening. Um, and I always like that to be based on the data that that's out there. Um, and I think I mean there's just some beautiful um, little illustrations out there about the, the the cycle of news, and and it's it's been used a lot by a lot of um, people that write cartoons, right? But, um, for example, you find in your study that there's a direct relationship between um, parameter A and C, but only in the presence of D and E. That is picked up by the university and it's brought out that um, A causes B and it's picked up by another instance that says, A always leads to B. And at some point that becomes that if you don't have A or, or B, uh, whatever, right? That there's a whole change in the narrative going from your original observations to the second person talk about a third, fourth, fifth, etc. It's a bit the same as what we used to play games back in the day. You start at one end of the room somebody's telling <laughs> a really good analogy. This See, is, this is end a of really the room, good one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, um, you know that that story is not even close at the end of the at, the at the end of that line. Yeah, the last person tells a completely different story as the first one. Yeah. Of course, it's not as dramatic with the news, but I mean, as you know, there's the only little nuances if they are missing. Um, and especially when we talk about correlations and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, there's that, a big difference. So always try to just go back to the original story, the original data, um, and then try and make up your own mind. But again, as I said before, papers, just the quality and the, the methodology that's used in those papers trying to go back to the data and trying to make sense out of that initial data is a lot harder than it used to be because the technology and the, the, the techniques that are being used and the complexity of the techniques um, is exponentially, I mean, it's just so much more difficult than it used to be. Yeah. So from that perspective, that is that is going to be, I think, a challenge for, for um in general, the public to try and keep up with what's happening in science. <laughs> Actually, for academics currently in science, trying to um, keep up with the young ones and um, that are using all these new technologies. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting and challenging.
0: So if I hear you correctly, you, you saying, in essence, that you have to be critical, critical of the source, where it comes from, the way the study was conducted, and that you have to make up your own mind. as you, What you said right at the beginning, that when you read a study, you look at the data, come up with your own conclusion, and then compare the conclusion of the researchers to your own, and then figure out, hey, is there, dis- is there a discrepancy? Is there a difference? Why? Yeah. Am, I, I, think, am I correct in saying that?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's, uh, that's correct. And I think also some interesting thing is also, but that's a completely different conversation that we should have on our next walk maybe and um, it's also interesting to when you read something and, and you let it register with yourself and if it elicits some sort of reaction within you try and figure out why that is the case
0: ah that's that's good yeah i i know that it's your your state your your current state has a very large impact on the way you view things. No, that's well, if we talk about let's just make sure we don't carry it that heavy of a bag because Yeah. We get a different state change. Might that be a different different conversation then.
1: Yeah, it might just be us yelling to each other. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that'd, be well. that'd be fun as well.
0: Hey Renee, I uh I really want to thank you for your time. And really? I um I appreciate, you. I, I appreciate the, the intelligence that you have, the way you view things, how you're critical. And that even though you've got a lot of, of knowledge on this subject, you've got a lot of experience, you, you still, you're still humble. I, 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 I appreciate that. I think, I think that, that that's a good virtue.
1: Well, mate, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we, we, we think we know, but I'm pretty sure we, we, we don't know. And I think one of the interesting bits is just um, if people would go back in the in, in in time, just go back two years in time, go back another two and two, and look at some of the signaling pathways and see how they've grown. Like they used to be very simple, right? You have a receptor on the membrane, you have a protein next to it, and then you have an effect. Now it's like you have a receptor, you have 40 bit four different proteins. And then you have an effect, and still yet we learn all these new things about all these different proteins that actually have a slightly different role in these particular cascades. So, really, we don't know that much.
0: Yeah, now we're starting to see the there's iceberg. Still,
1: there's still a, there's still a lot out there that uh, that we need to uh, need to look at. So it's uh, it, yeah, it's still pretty cool. It's a pretty cool puzzle.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that that's the beauty of research and that's the beauty of life. You just pick up bits and pieces left and right and you try to put them together and make sense of what's happening, what life is. And Hey, um, I'm uh, going to thank uh, the listeners uh, for listening to us. And I think uh, you gave them a good bit of wisdom and empirical data and how we should always be critical. And make up your own mind i mean I, I think that everybody can benefit from that one way or another is there any last message you would like to give a shout out maybe where can, people can find you anything at all
1: no man, just everybody out there stay healthy stay active and uh, i think um, until we walk with the bag next time right it's probably <laughs> uh